The Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. It's Panhandle Sports Live. Crossover, step back! Where the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia comes to get their sports live. Is this the tagger? It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. Agent back to pass. Rushed out of the pocket. Throwing it downfield. It's into the end zone. Oh, he caught it! Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner, Luke Wiggs, and Parker Stone. It is Thursday the 14th. You're tuned in to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchwell building. I'm Jordan Icewinner alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. morning. How are we doing? Well, I I wore this all O's of gear for the reason today. I got my Orioles hat and my Adley Rutschman shirt on. We got to break the hacks that's on the O's, man. I don't know and what's on you. going on. I got a hacks, too. I about went double goose eggs two days in a row. It took the Rays beating the Twins to survive, but... We got to break the hex or something. So I'm wearing the I'm wearing the gear today, hoping for a win against the Rays. Funny enough, coming up today, and it, what could be a make or break series for the O's if they're able to take this against Tampa? They're they're still in a good spot, but still, Tampa's right on the heels right now. They did good in their past series, but man, the O's got to get it together or something. But I I, I don't know what's going. on. I mean, they still won seven of their last ten. Yeah, they just they had seven wins in a row before they put, they took on this series against the Cardinals. I, I think they're fine. Which the, I want, I wonder why they've been struggling so much against. The, is it like just the the bullpen's finally showing that they're not very good? Well, well we've known they can't that. they can't they can't they can't continue to score runs the way they've done it all year long. And yell at me if you want, but this is a vastly underachieving Cardinal team. But it's still a talented Cardinal team that now has nothing to play for, so they're playing loose. You know, Drew Rom gave him a great start. They've been playing loose all year. They should have absolutely. I mean, I mean, they're two relievers and and smart decisions from their uh, general manager and getting that starting pitcher away from being a playoff team. But now that they've got nothing to lose and they're playing the young guys, mm-hmm. Mason Wynn looks really good, and the O's are, are paying the price because of that. But I mean, I thought John Means looked fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's that's not. Re- there's still two games up in the American League East. You know, there's no reason to blow it up. But I, 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 just two games in a row skid. I, I don't think it's the biggest deal. The I think they're gonna fizzle out, man. Oh man, I think you're gonna fizzle out. I think of, I, they're still gonna make it to into the postseason. Of course, they're still gonna make a run. And do I want this to happen? No. But do I think they're gonna end up fizzling out and this just kind of be a flash in the pan type of thing? Yes, it's well, very possible. You're playing the two best records besides you in the American League in six straight games, mm-hmm. four against the Rays and two against the Astros. And their whole season's been like that. Yeah, they've yeah. been playing tough competition all year and long. And they've handled seems. it well. Now, yeah. if they go one and five, then you're right. I mean, maybe they won't show you anything in the playoffs, mm-hmm. especially if they have to play in a wild card series instead of you know getting a little bit of help by winning a division. But they also have the opportunity to show that this stuff is just a blip. And when, you know, the, the remaining games in the season go four of their next six against mm-hmm. these these two really good teams and propel themselves into the postseason. Yeah, and the, really the big issue is the bats got to wake the heck up, guys. I mean, they, they only limit St. Louis to four hits, but the O's only get three hits in this entire game. They lost off of one singular home run coming from Palacios. And it's the he bats had two just, the night before as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was. hot hot streak for him. But it's they got to wake the bats up. Rutschman went zero for four with a strikeout. Santander strikes out twice. Urias strikes out twice. McCann strikes out twice. And when you have Santander hit a double and Gunnar Henderson hit a triple, and you're not able to close in and get the run in, 
that's a problem. And then is that is that a young team showing their age and saying that we maybe are struggling down the stretch, or is it a case where they can write the ship? We can put this Cardinals series to bed if they are able to take the series against the Rays. I'm confident in saying that, but there's there's cracks that are showing, I think, is the best way to take this right now. When you go in a series, you lose to a not-so-great Cardinal team right now. Granted, they, they still have quality players on that team. I love Lars Newtbar. I love what they have in their young core right now at St. Louis, but it's a team that's more on the rebuilding end of things right now. Well, we'll get to talking, uh, I guess, a little bit more in depth about the Orioles a little bit later on today. Of course, they will be uh, on the airwaves here tonight. Your home for Baltimore Orioles baseball, uh, WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. But over on 95.9 The Big Dog, we got uh, the Ernie McCook Show at 7.30 tonight. Special guest will be uh, Matt Bednarski and uh, Dustin Tank Fisher will be in uh, on the show today, which nice. should be a fun one. Yeah, that's exciting. If it was about a week. If it was last week, we might have had uh, a Joey Fisher sighting there with Dustin there, but he's <laughs> yeah. a little occupied at this point. But uh, that'll be over on 95.9. The Big Dog starting at 7.30 tonight. Myself, Ernie McCook, Dustin Fisher, and Matt Bednarski can come on out to uh, the um, come on out to Captain Benders for the coaches show uh, tonight. It's Burger Night. They'll put that. Uh, we'll talk about that all throughout the rest of the day. But. Chauncey Wimbush, the vice president for athletics at Shepard, uh, is resigning, and he's going to be taking over the deputy AD job over at Miami of Ohio. And looking back at uh, when Chauncey took over the realm at athletic director back in 2016, I mean, it's all of this success. Well, I would say all of this success, but the uh, high-profile most recent success for uh, especially football, but really all uh, all the athletics around Shepherd University have taken a significant step up since Chauncey seems to uh, have taken over, whether that is just uh, funding wise or facilities wise. I mean, you look back at the new turf on the field, you got the, the football field slash lacrosse field. You had the renovations over to the baseball field, the new score, uh, scoreboard going in at Ram Stadium. A lot of this has happened under Chauncey's uh, watch, and it's going to be pretty tough to see. Uh, well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, with a tough, presumably, transition uh, into a new realm. Although, a familiar face is coming back into uh, Shepherd University with Monty Cater taking uh, taking over the position in the meantime. So, uh, what do you guys think about Chauncey stepping down after eight years? It's a bit of a shame. I think his tenure is going to be remembered for two things specifically. Number one, he was obviously the athletic director that handled the transition to the PSAC. And that was always going to be tough no matter who it was going to be. Your travel schedule kind of changing. And you took a significant step up in tertiary sports, with all due respect, removed from football and basketball, the PSAC is much better than the MEC. I mean, it's better than the MEC in just about every sport, except maybe baseball, when you go up and down the line. And and, and Shepard Sports kind of struggling because of that, but with his leadership guiding this team to be a a football powerhouse and try to establish other programs, moving basketball over to the PSAC for both men's and women's, and you know trying to get things on the right page in terms of softball and lacrosse and things like that. And I also felt that his fundraising efforts were something else that would be a mm-hmm. highlight of his career. No better evident than the scoreboard that's about to be put in at Ram Stadium, the renovations that have happened, like you mentioned, new turf over the last couple of years. I'm excited to see what Coach Cater can do. I mean, he's somebody that was such a highly influential member of the athletic department when he was here for such a long time that even though he hasn't been officially an athletic director for, he was, you know, an athletic director in all but name when he was here Mm -hmm. up until around 2015, 2016. So I think he's going to do a good job. You know, the, the key to whoever takes the job is to, you know, not overlook 
the non-revenue generating mm-hmm. sports because there's an opportunity for Shepard to grow and expand if you know they start to turn things around like they're doing in soccer like they've done the last couple of years in softball, continue to make volleyball uh, as competitive as they've been in recent years. And I think that Coach Cater will do a good job. And Chauncey is an alum. I know that it meant a lot for him to have this job. Wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors. And I think for the most part, he's leaving the job better Oh yeah. Then where how he found it. And I don't think the Monty Cater uh hire is necessarily the long term future no. plan. I mean, yeah, that's I just to so. fill the spot and get a guy that in the, in there that knows everybody that knows what's going on. But um it'll be interesting to see who takes over that job. Yeah, it's definitely one that I think is gonna be a hot commodity for mm-hmm. whoever gets it. It's a fantastic job and wanted to wax poetic a little bit about Chauncey's accomplishments as the vice president of athletics at Shepard, 231 all-conference honorees during his tenure, 170 conference player of the week awards, over 150 all-region players, 88 all-Americans, 15 conference player of the year awards, and six conference coach of the years under his time as Shepard. And the Rams teams made 17 regional appearances, three regional titles, and three conference crowns. What a tenure for Chauncey, man. Congratulations to him on this position at Miami of Ohio. Hope it works out well for him. And it seems like it's an amicable split from both ends, which is fantastic to see. And again, I'm, I'm excited to see who long-term is going to be taking over that position because there's some big shoes to fill, I think, with how really momentum has built for Shepard Athletics since joining the PSAC in 2019. The momentum that's built up, they've been known as probably the powerhouse in football of this conference stepping in and being that a basketball program that on the women's side was just coming off around a 32 exit two years ago a men's program that's been on the cusp of getting into the NCAA tournament with young and talented rosters and then you go down the line uh, softball and baseball teams that have been making progress fantastic soccer on both ends they just started up a cross-country program two years ago I believe so mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of momentum and a lot of growth coming from this and I'm hoping whoever steps into that role continues what Chauncey started and expands within Shepherd University's athletics from revenue sports such as football and basketball and the non-revenue such as your cross countries your mm-hmm. volleyballs and the like so as long as that love gets spread out to all sports that's what I'm looking for whoever takes over this new role as vice president of athletics in the foreseeable future now let's address the elephant in the room the timing of this is interesting with of course a couple of weeks ago the stuff coming out the news about the compliance issues and you know players and unnamed players from unnamed teams you know getting all these uh, academic things mixed up and twisted around so So I don't necessarily know what the chain of compliance is in, uh, you know, college athletics, but I would imagine that buck ultimately stopped with him. So uh, I'm I'm not saying that he's the reason behind it, but just timing makes this a little bit interesting. It does. My recommendation would be as someone that's never worked in an athletic department before, obviously, is just transparency is everything in a situation like this. Like conclusions are being drawn. The, the issue that Shepard's going to run into, and part of it's, I guess, our fault in the media, but we're trying to do our job, anytime we see a player sit out now, we're going to assume that it's because of some kind of compliance issue, whether or not it is, because that's obviously something that has been an issue to start this season with the football program, and it's carried over in other sports as well. So whoever is stepping in, and I think that, like you said, it's a strong replacement hire in mm-hmm. Coach Cater until they can find somebody else. My recommendation would be let's just have some transparency Let's try to, you know, say, all right, our bad, because it seems as though mistakes were made and it is what it is. Right. You know, is is this the only reason why Chauncey's leaving this position? I don't think so. Is it part of it? Maybe, you know, I mean, it's his decision. He's moving up to a you know, higher level and, you know, who, who knows what else. But again, I think the biggest thing through all of this is it's been a bit confusing because not everybody 
um, outside of the university has all the facts. And the university's obviously made the decision to not do that. But mm-hmm. I would say that I think transparency would, would be the biggest thing. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, we, we don't know very much about this quote-unquote compliance issue that's been going on over at Shepard. So I, I'm not going to raise that hand and speculate what's exactly going on. I'm sure whenever the time comes to discuss that, there will be release and whatever there needs to be. But it's it's interesting timing. I think I'll sum it up to that for that. I, I don't think that was the sole reason for mm-hmm. Chauncey's departure at all. I, I just think the timing is it, – it, it's enough to raise an eyebrow, I think, is the best way to look at it. But I'm sure there were other factors as well. I mean, it's it's a great position for him to step up with Miami of Ohio, a team that has a really good track record in the MAC and a team that's been really good in a program that's been really good in all sports for a while. But it, it is enough to where the situation that we have right now, which a lot of people are being very tight-lipped on the situation, mm-hmm. it's, it's, an, it's very – interesting it's enough to make you question what's really going on over there and it's it's eyebrow raising and to the naked eye you would say well maybe this is Chauncey getting out of Dodge but again I I don't think that's the situation we're at right now I'm interested to see whenever the smoke clears and we get more of an idea of what exactly is going on but until that point I I'm I'm just not going to raise the eye and speculate Mm -hmm. further well, with that said, I mean, it's hard to overlook the amount of success uh, Shepard Athletics have had under the uh, helm of Chauncey Wimbush. And he's been so great with us, uh, you know, over on 95.9, the big dog doing Shepard sports in here with uh, basketball and soccer and different things as well. So, um, yeah, shout out to Chauncey. We wish him success uh, down the line. Absolutely. But you can always get in touch with us. 304-263-4321 is the text line. Or you can tweet us at EP Sports Network. We'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. I'm Jordan Ice Warner alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. You can text us 304-263-4321. You can tweet us at EP Sports Network. Uh, like we were saying before the break, if you uh, head over to 95.9 The Big Dog at 7.30 tonight, got the Ernie McCook Show live from Captain Bender's Tavern. Myself, Ernie McCook, Dustin Fisher, and Matt Bednarski. So uh, getting a little local flavor over at uh, Captain Bender's today. So come on out. Parker, I think you said you're making an appearance tonight. Yeah, I'll be out there. It's going to be a fun time at the Ernie McCook Show. You don't want to miss out on it. Definitely the burgers are fantastic over that way if you haven't been there. Grab you a burger, grab you a beer, chill out, and have a good time. That's that's the way they enjoy the Ernie McCook Show. If you can't come out to Bender's, hey, it's on 95.9 The Big Dog as well. You can stream <laughs> it on the app, and you'll be good to go. Well, there's your promo right there. There you go. Hashtag plug, hashtag ad. <laughs> well, uh one thing I do want to get to talking about here while we have a little bit of time is that one time transfer rule as we've affectionately coined it, the transfer portal in the state of West Virginia. And to be honest, I think we can all say that it didn't quite go as crazy as we thought it was going to here in the Eastern panhandle, but that's not necessarily the case across the rest of the state. And it's gotten crazy enough that legislature is starting to think about repealing that one time transfer rule. So Marcia said this the other day, but do you think at this point, Cat's out of the bag. You know, you've already got a lot of these processes moving. Kids are already probably planning on transferring to different schools and things like that. Is it too little, too late for this? Or do you think it, there's still plenty of time to to reel this back and maybe, well, put the cat back in the bag? 
I, I think that it's something that absolutely can be reversed. It's just a shame that this is monopolizing the attention of state legislature, although maybe it's a blessing in disguise. I can talk about that in a second. But, I mean, this is spearheaded by delegates in Kanawha County who are experiencing the, the repercussions of this worse than anywhere else in the state because there's been over 100 athletes that have mm-hmm. exercised the one-time transfer rule in that part of the state. Out here, it hasn't been an issue. And in my opinion, I think those that have used the rule, and we'll wait in a couple of years because I know there's some freshmen and sophomores that did it that we won't know until you know they're juniors and seniors, but I think everybody that's exercised it has done so in good taste and mm-hmm. has done so and put themselves in a position where maybe they were better off before it. Um, but in some parts of the state, it's become the Wild West, and they're trying to put the genie back in the bottle. This is a bill that a lot of people claim was snuck in at the 11th hour, uh, along with legislation about the Hope, uh, the Hope Scholarship Act. It was passed without the signature of the governor. So, you know, the fact that legislature wants to repeal it is just the system trying to, to correct itself. And here's what I'll say. It's funny that you know, people are selective in the issues that they, they, they hmm. pick up on as, as voters or as whatever. I'm all for, and I don't think this will happen. I think it'll just be something that's handled by legislature. I'm all for putting this on the ballot, just like they put on the last four amendments or letting people vote on it for no reason other than voter turnout in West Virginia sucks. So if people are, if, if high school football is what it takes for people to show up in this state and vote, then let's go ahead and have it. You know, put it on the ballot, let people decide. It will get voted down, and more people hopefully would show up to vote and, you know, maybe take a look at the rest of the ballot outside of what's affecting their high school teams. But, you know, we had said that there's positives and negatives to it, but if it's becoming as rampant in Charleston as it's going to if it if that comes to the rest of the state and it becomes a true free-for-all, then this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. I mean, what what can they change about it? They I mean, can if, just repeal it. Well, repeal no, it. I mean, if they were gonna if they were gonna try and keep this thing the way or keep it as to a to amend rule, it essentially, right? How would they change it? What would be the way to do this and still you think there, make everybody happy? There'd have to be compliance. The SSAC or a state legislature would have to appoint a committee that would have to listen to transfer claims, just like they right. do in the NCAA. I mean, before you had to have a burden of proof that you changed residences or you know whatever issue. You'd have to have these athletes submit transfers and then plead their case to a committee to say, but then it would come down to, well, I, I want to get more playing time mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't like this coach. And then they would be selective as to who they had approved and they'd end up in the same situation as the NCAA where this season, especially WVU specifically, you've had guys like Omar Silvario have his waiver transfer claim denied by the NCAA for no good reason and other people that probably shouldn't have been allowed to play given eligibility. Mm -hmm. So if you were to create a committee, then it would just become a really arbitrary method of trying to determine who should be approved and who isn't. So it comes down to just repealing it. I don't think there's a perfect way to have your cake and eat it too when it comes to these transfers, especially since we've already seen in just a three-month period so many programs willing to abuse it. Mm, yeah, and I think there's two ways that there are two things that I would like to implement in a perfect world that could maybe amend the one-time transfer rule and make it maybe applicable. Number one, and I've mentioned this before, you need to hit a 3.0 grade point average to apply the one-time transfer rule. I think that's a great idea. It emphasizes student athlete, not athlete student. 3.0. That's that's, that's even B, more strict than college. That's a B average. It, I think more strict I think than fair. college athletes have to deal I think, with. I think the one-time transfer should be a privilege for an athlete. 
And I think you need to do good in school to apply the one-time transfer rule. And and if you want to, if you're using the one-time transfer rule, you have thoughts of playing in college. And right. I think if you're using that, you need to have a good enough grade point average to make that transfer happen. So I say a 3.0 is more than valid. And secondly, I think there should be a limit on transfers. I think you should have no more than 10. And I think, and I think 10 might be a little bit, little bit maybe leisure with so what do you mean by what do you mean by limit on is transfers that a program yeah. per, per program okay. you, what you about, can bring in no more than 10 transfers well i'll tell you what would happen then i'll tell you exactly what would happen then let's say you're school a and you want to pick up a bunch of transfers you've hit your 10 team limit all of a sudden if you're a football coach you're calling up the cross-country coach and saying hey i need you to stick some guys on <laughs> yeah. your roster yeah and all of a sudden we yeah, have all of a sudden 15. this turns into a baseball school so a bob huggins jimmy bell situation we, we've got 15 <laughs> players that are all of a sudden on the cross-country team that they show up to a match walk two steps and then walk off the course that is my starting wide receiver so that that would that would get abused pretty quickly yeah there's I, there's there's, there's no goes, right way. It goes back to the point that there's just no easy. There's way. no, no there's no right have. way to fix it. And I've had my personal concerns about the one-time transfer rule. Being someone that covers a small AA school in Berkeley Springs in the shadow of six bigger AAA schools, if you look at it, it are, are programs like Berkeley Springs going to surprise? Are going to survive in the one-time transfer rule era? No, no, they're not. Because they're going to get any talent out of that area. It's already Morgan County's already enough. In Berkeley Springs, in that town, is small enough as it is. If a good athlete comes out of there, we, I mean, case in point, Gavin Young. That's, case in point, the Clement brothers. At both, yeah. So, but but all three of those were Morgan County residents at one point, and they've decided to take their talents to a bigger school to get noticed for college looks. And I don't blame those athletes for that at all. It's better for their career, and I support them in that. But for the school's sake, for Berkeley Springs, if they're going to get no quality football talent coming through there, and I've had this, this these discussions with people and how Berkeley Springs has really struggled in football historically. They're like a 300 all-time winning percentage program. Is it, and if you keep getting talent sucked out of your school, not only are you going to lose enrollment, which is going to drop you from a double-A school to a single-A school, if you keep struggling as a single-A school, I don't know if it would come to this point, but it could – it could threaten a departure of the program entirely if mm -hmm. there's just not enough revenue coming in for it. Well, that's the first thing I thought of when this really all started to get working was, uh, was you know, your Berkeley Springs and your your smaller schools like that was is because you lose those two, three guys in a class, then that's your whole program yeah. for like conceivably four years, you know? And if I'm a student that's maybe on the edge of thinking about playing football, you know, I mean, you look at a couple of these schools already this year that have had big wins uh, out of nowhere – where they've uh, next Monday of practice have had like 10, 15 new kids just showing up. I mean, that's what happens. Yeah. Exactly. That's what happens when you have a good football team. But when you on the opposite side of that, when you have a bad football team, no one wants to come then out. nobody wants to come out. No. And then a storied, albeit a, um, I don't want to say a struggling franchise, but a storied uh, since team the, like since Berkeley the turn Springs, of the century, they've been right? They've been around for forever. You'd hate to see the the program fold at one point or another down the line because of this. Well, and not to mention, I mean, this isn't something that I, I guess is taking away the sanctity of high school sports for me because I still enjoy them. But there's a lot of people that spend their lives growing up in a community that support yep. their local high school team and that are excited for the ten or fifteen year once in every ten or fifteen year period when you get to go down and compete for a state tournament. And they're excited for it because it's local kids. All of a sudden, in schools across, there are schools. Nitro's putting up crazy points with kids that aren't from Nitro. Right. Yeah. So Nitro's going to go on a crazy playoff run, and people are going to show up to Nitro playoff games, and half the roster is not going to be from that area. It would be like 
Hedgesville going down to win a state championship in basketball with a ton of kids from Charlestown mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, and it, it kind of ruins the regionalism. And I know that that was a complaint for a lot of other people. Um, and y- you see opportunities for schools to have success. Last year was the first time people paid any t- attention whatsoever to Papa because yep. they had an above 500 record in basketball mm-hmm. because of Donovan Tanaway. He was one of the best sophomores in the state. Now he could get sucked away from Berkeley to Berkeley Springs, or he could go all the way over to Berkeley County, and all of a sudden the any semblance of relevancy that Papa had is, is completely vacated, and that's a community that supports the heck out of that team, even when they haven't been very good. So you know the regionalism and the in a good way, right. mind you, tribalism is also something that people people feel have been tarnished. By this one-time transfer rule that uh, I'm sure people would be looking to return to. I mean, can you also say this is uh, another one of the long list of cases where adults are kind of ruining sports <laughs> for the kids? It's it's fair to say that, and I want to take the chance to compare. Well, we've been calling this the quote-unquote transfer portal here. Let's compare for a second the actual transfer portal when it was opened up in college sports around 2020. 2019 is kind of when that transfer portal per- first opened to what we have in West Virginia high school sports. In college, let's think of how many divisions there are. There's your Power Fives. There's your Group of Fives. There's your FCS schools. There's your D2 schools, your D3 schools, your NAIA schools. Those are six classifications with hundreds of schools in those. Now let's look at West Virginia high school sports. How many AAA schools are there? How many AA schools are there? Mm -hmm. How many single-A schools are there? I'd say there's probably less than 250 high schools in the state of West Virginia, and that might be a little bit over the number. There's 100 football programs. There's 100 football programs. There is not the depth to have a transfer portal in the state of West Virginia. But also, it's not not money generating the same way that signing a contract with ESPN and getting tens of millions of dollars in teeth. So that's different. And, And number two... It doesn't bother people that WVU's best players over the last couple of years, for the most part, have not been from West Virginia, right. because that's how college sports are. You know, Tavon Austin was from Maryland. You know, it's it's not the same as again going back to the Hedgesville comparison, winning a championship or making a deep playoff run with kids that aren't from Hedgesville, because it just means more in terms of the regionalism that you have in sports. Uh, so in an effort to try to mirror what's going on in the college game, which is a bad idea. I, and I want to say this in closing. I would really like to know, because Ryan Weld had a lot to do with this being put across and the delegates from Wheeling, what the thought process was into putting this in in the first place. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if it gets debated on the House floor, we'll be able to hear representatives explain why they decided to sneak. No, I don't want to say sneak but put this bill into legislation that started with the Hope Scholarship, which had nothing to do, this had, that had everything to do with private schools and nothing mm-hmm. to do with high school sports and how it morphed into this. I would really like to hear an explanation because it's hit us with something that none of us were expecting. Mm. Well, you can join the conversation. What do you think? Should they be repealing this one-time transfer rule or do you think they should leave it as it is because uh, you can't get it back to the way it was? Text us 304-263-4321. We'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Fleming will take the snap, look to throw on a deep drop. He's got time, lets it go down the field. He's got Beard breaking open. Beard reaches up and makes the catch around the defender. Gets a high snap, Robinson trying to get to the outside, makes a trip move, gets to the inside, Keyshawn Robinson, touchdown Cougars! Green will bring it in at the 15, gets hit immediately, walks up the sideline, and he's at the sideline! He's across the 50, he's got a deep Piccarelli, and he will the 20, the 10, the 5, the freshman lights up the scoreboard! Panhandle Sports Live, your home for sports in the Panhandle. Here's Jordan, Luke, and Parker.
Welcome back. You can always get in touch with us. You can text us 304-263-4321, especially about that one-time transfer rule, which uh, could potentially be getting repealed uh, by the powers of B downstate. So what do you think? 304-263-4321. Now, we already talked about the O's, and of course, you have Orioles baseball right here tonight on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. First pitch is at 715 as the Rays are coming into the Charm City, but... Getting back into football season, fellas. Backyard brawls coming up. People are excited about it. West Virginia fans, I think. Well, before we get to that, how important is this game? I mean, can you call this a must-win backyard brawl? So here's my perspective on it, and I'll, I'll stand by this because we've kind of been dancing around Neil Brown. Should he get fired? Should this, that, and the other? What are our predictions? If Neil Brown loses this game, he's not going to be the coach uh, next year. And I think that's pretty reasonable. Next week or next year? Next year. year. Okay. If he loses this game, he's not going to be the coach. He's probably not going to get to 500. He's not going to make a bowl game. He's going to lose. I will go ahead and uh, plant the flag in the ground and say that if the Mountaineers lose this game by multiple scores, then Neil Brown's fired when the game's over. Mm. I think to save face that that's what's going to happen. With that said, the Pitt team that they lost to last year was not very good. And they were willed by one of the best, in my opinion, it was the best crowd that Pitt's had in a long time. Yep. You know, in terms of attendance, they show up well for Penn State and Clemson, but those aren't games that Pitt expects to win. Last year, it was the best crowd in terms of attendance and energy that I think they've probably had since the last time they've played West Virginia, and it willed them to victory. And I would like to think that the opposite of that would be true. Now, it's interesting to see the program at this current point in time, what's greater the fan base's hatred for Neil Brown or their hatred for Pitt. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume it's Pitt and that they're going to you know, show up and, and, and cheer their hearts out for that game. Um, but it's a Pitt team that's not very – Phil Jerkovich is just not very good. And he says odd things in the media that's going to get him burned this week. And the same could be said for Pat Narduzzi, who has taken shots at WVU for years, even before they started playing this rivalry again. And I really think that they both have it coming. I mean, Djokovic's completion percentage is less than 50%. This team cannot stop the run. I mean, they were beat to death in the ground by Cincinnati. And I don't think they beat Wofford as definitively as they would like to. So it's a not very good team walking into the very hostile atmosphere of uh Milan Pushkar Stadium for a WV football team that the one thing they can do well is run the football mm-hmm. with Garrett Green and CJ Donalds. And so I expect WVU to win. I don't know why they're not favored in this game. Are they especially not? at home? I believe they're not. They are one point favored as of today. Oh, well, you say. get three yeah. points as the home team. So right. technically they're yeah. not favored yeah. in this game. Jeez. I mean, you know, so there's a lot at stake, at least for Neil Brown. Again, if they lose by multiple scores, he's going to get fired. There's too many reasons why they should beat Pitt, and now it's up to them to beat Pitt. Yeah, and this is a West Virginia team that's got to be able to run the ball effectively against this pit defense. West Virginia is a top 20 team in the nation right now in rushing yards, 19th overall at 225 yards rushing a game. Pitt's rush offense, not good. 76th in the nation at only 150 yards. And again, that's after playing Wofford, who they were able to kick around for one week. I mean, the one, no disrespect to Wofford, but the one real football program they've played in Cincinnati ran the ball down their throats. Yeah, it's it's a, this is um I wouldn't say must win it is for Neil Brown if you don't win this bad things are probably going to happen to you. I I think that's the best way to describe the matchup. It's a win that I think this fan base for WVU needs as well, especially after what happened at last year's backyard brawl and everything how that unfolded and that collapse went down. It it's a win that this fan base I think needs. It's a must win for the fan base of West Virginia because if they don't beat Pitt in this game, it's going to be really really hard to find wins for this team, especially if you drop to Pitt 
you drop to one and two, you take on a Texas Tech team at home that needs a win badly in their case because they've started 0-2 on a tough schedule. And then you just keep going down the line. And are you you're not I don't think you're able to beat Cincinnati, who I admittedly underrated coming into this season. I thought they were gonna be the worst team in the Big Twelve, but they've won two straight games and they've looked overall pretty good for a team in their case. They're playing Oklahoma next week, so I think we'll find out what the Bearcats really are in all seriousness. But for West Virginia's sake, you got to stick to your roots, run the ball. You have a lot of momentum built by Hudson Clement, who I'm excited to see his role kind of increase for this Mountaineer offense as well when they bring in Devin Carter and how Garrett Green is going to potentially pass the ball in this offense too. Because I think for Pitt's sake, if you use a lot of play action against them, I think you can beat this team. But yeah, Pitt's not that good. If if they're able to beat Pitt, okay, we're good going two and one, and then that sets up an exciting matchup against Texas Tech. If you drop this game, it may be time to wave the white flag mm. for this season, and maybe wave the white flag completely for Neil Brown and wrap things up in the tenure. So we talked about when we looked at their schedule a couple of months ago, and of course as the seasons progress through, uh, their path to potentially getting to a bowl game, which there is one, but it's going to be a tough one. Now with that being said, the path, they are still on said path because I don't think anybody thought they were going to be Penn State except for Pat McAfee. And then of course <laughs> everybody thought they were going to be Duquesne, which was a little shakier than it needed to be. But all things considered, they're one and one They're still where... Everybody, and I think they probably thought they were going to be going into this pit game. So are, do you still think that they have the pieces and the tools to potentially get to a bowl game? Or do you think that it all really rides on this pit game? However they come out or however the, 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 sand, the dust settles in this game will really determine the season. I mean, if, if you beat Pitt, it, it makes those other games upcoming on your schedule much more winnable. I mean, I, with the exception of Bartholomew, there's not a receiver on Pitt that scares me. However, Texas Tech, that's where they're mm -hmm. deepest, and they probably have the best stable of wide receivers in the conference. So if you beat Pitt, Texas Tech becomes a winnable game because you're at home. Uh, TCU has not gotten off to a good start there, one and one. And then behind that, you've got Houston and Oklahoma State. So this runway of games, I would say that if you beat Pitt, you have the opportunity, and it's not a very West Virginia thing to do, but run the table and rattle off four wins in a row. And all of a sudden, then you're just one win away from a bowl game. But it all hinges on that pit game. If you lose by two scores, like I said, I think you're going to lose your head coach. If you lose to Pitt, you're not going to beat Texas Texas Tech because of the skill position players that they have. That makes the TCU game a toss-up game. And then I still favor you against Houston, Houston no matter what, even though it's at Houston, coming off a of bye week. Still a lot of vitriol from this program directed at Dana Holgerson and the way that things end. And frankly, if Neil Brown's still around, the winner of that Houston game might end the coaching career for the loser because Dana might be on the hot seat from that game too because I know Houston's not happy with where the program is at this point. So the pit game's a pivot point. You know, regardless of how talented WVU actually is, if you're willed to a victory by this crowd, by multiple scores, you know, people joke and say West Virginia's going to win by two touchdowns. You have that confidence. You have that momentum. You have that energy. You all of a sudden have a new offensive weapon in Hudson Clement that's come out of nowhere, and you're still waiting to figure out how to use Rodney Gallagher in this offense. You can propel yourself into the, the second half of the season with momentum that you weren't sure you were going to get from playing anybody else. That is you know, the the positive end of playing two Power 5 teams in your non-conference schedule, using it to your advantage if you're actually able to beat them, which is something West Virginia hasn't been able to do. So a lot of this comes down to the fans. You know, if you're able to propel WVU to victory the same way Pitt did a season ago, mm -hmm. then you can be the reason why they propel themselves into a bowl game this year. Well, you saw the big game Boomer put them at, uh, like, the worst student section of last week. 
they were towards the top in a lot of fan bases for the past week against Duquesne. So I, I was improvement to see this fan base wake up and get into the Mountaineers again. And I think with this, we've mentioned this being a pivot point. If they win their next two games, the Mountaineers will win eight games this season. Wow. I, I think so. <laughs> All right. I think so. I, I really do. Hey, hey, well, let me let me explain. <laughs> You're doubting me here. Yeah. You're yeah. doubting me here. Hold yeah, on. I'm doubting you. Let me explain. <laughs> let me explain. So, I can hear the that text. Might be, look, that might be the biggest reach you've made on this show. No, hold on. They beat Pitt 2-1. and one. I think if they beat Pitt, the momentum's high. It's at home. Neil Brown needs to beat Texas Tech because that's the one team he's had that crutch with for his tenure. If they beat them, go 3-1. and one. If they're going into the TCU game 3-1, and one, I think they beat TCU because they're on a hot streak at that point. 4-1. and one. You got a bye week in week six. Coming off the bye, you play Houston. You beat Houston. Get Dana fired on a Thursday. Fantastic work. Oklahoma State is not going to be a good football team this year. I think there are a lot of question marks for the Cowboys. And I think West Virginia playing that game at home, they beat Oklahoma State. Let me, let me State. stop you there before you get to the back half of your, the, the point you're trying to make. All right, so at this point, West Virginia is 6-1. Yes. West Virginia is undefeated ranked. first place in the Big 12 and ranked in the top 15. Continue. <laughs> All right, so they dropped. That the makes it sound even crazier. Okay, so they dropped the They're game. Probably again. ranked thirteenth right now. So that means college game day is coming to is UCF. Yeah, it's UCF. They Continue. Lo- they lose against UCF, so they drop to six and two. They beat BYU at home, and then after that, they lose to Oklahoma because I think Oklahoma's a better team. You got three losses. And then you take on Cincinnati, coin flip game, depending on where those both te- those teams are both at at this point that this year. And they beat Baylor in the final game of the season. By this point, they fired Dave Arana, and they're just trying to get through the end of the season. Eight wins for the Mountaineers, potentially. So what is that in conference play? Um, Only losses are UCF. Two, two losses. Oklahoma, they can make the conference championship losses, game. Yeah. UCF, Oklahoma, they wouldn't, and then potentially they Cincinnati. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You, I, I, I thought I was the optimistic one. Hey, that's pretty optimistic. <laughs> if that's, that might be delusional. That's almost. if they win these next two games. I was. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair enough. Park, Park says if they win their next four games, they might be. <laughs> if they win out, they might. <laughs> they might have a chance. I, all I'll say is if I think if they beat Pitt, they have a realistic shot at going to a bowl. If you beat Pitt, you have a chance of going yeah. six and six. I, this team, their secondary is too bad to it's rattle rough. off this many wins yep. in a row. I think they're going to beat Pitt because you're at home. You can run the ball like crazy. And again, Bartholomew is the only pass catcher that scares me to death, although I'm sure I'll eat those words. But, I mean, there's there's too many. I I don't see this being the Mountaineer team because Dana had Will Greer they on a team along with David Sills, and and they only won eight games. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know the big the schedule's calls, there. I know the Big 12's down this year, and this is the easiest schedule they've gotten. But, I mean... But this is not the best team they've had under Neil Brown. You're asking them to technically have the second best team or year they've had in the Big 12 behind the Skylar Howard mm-hmm. 10-win team. I don't, I Which don't know. Which, that's a phrase lots of people forget to say. <laughs> well, well, what do you think out there? Do you agree with Parker? Do you think uh, the Mountaineers got a chance, if they win these next two games... Uh, to end up making a run and getting bowl eligible. What do you think? Text us 304-263-4321. We'll be back to get Parker's picks and wrap things up after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. It's Panhandle Sports Live with Jordan, Luke, and Parker. Tweet the guys at EP Sports Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchwood building. Jordan Ice Winner alongside me, Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Proving it never fails. Never failed once. 
Well, I mentioned it at the top of the show, guys. We almost hit the proverbial double goose egg yesterday with the Cubs yesterday's lock losing to the Rockies 7-3. The Diamondbacks losing 7-1 to the Mets. I would not have called that one. And then the Rays being able to beat the Twins saved us yesterday. Final score of 5-4. to four. But it's Thursday night football tonight. It's Vikings and it is Eagles. So let's go into this picks for today. I'm going to go with today's lock is going to be TJ Hawkinson over 49 and a half receiving yards in this game. I feel like Philly's had issues covering tight ends with the loss of CJ Gardner Johnson. And he was kind of their guy they would put on people. And you look at the linebacking core for Philadelphia. No TJ Edwards in that lineup anymore as well. He went to Chicago. Who's going to be able to cover Hawkinson, a guy who I think is the number two target in the Vikings offense behind Justin Jefferson. I think Hawkinson gets over on receiving yards, gets 50-plus tonight in this matchup against Philadelphia. I'm taking Devontae Smith over five-and-a-half catches as well tonight. I think he's slowly emerging now. By the end of the year, I think Devontae Smith is going to be the top wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles, surpassing A.J. Brown. I think Devontae gets six receptions tonight in this matchup, and I'm taking they keep feeding him. I know they're going to put Darius Slay on him and try and move things around to try and stop him, but it's hard to stop Justin Jefferson, guys. I'm taking the over on receiving yards at 94.5. It's a high number, but I, and it's, it's a really good defense. that It could struggle for Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, but Justin Jefferson's a special talent. He's the best wide receiver in the league for a reason, and Minnesota needs to get the rack together before – Justin Jefferson gets upset and demands a trade. So I think he gets over on receiving yards, helping Minnesota to try and bounce back. I'm not picking a winner in this game because I would, I was going to say you're putting a lot of confidence in primetime Kirk Cousins. I, I feel, I feel like there are elements for this team to win this game. Cause I it's week two. I'm not going to overreact and say this is a must win game for the Vikings, but they have to have a really good showing in this game after being upset by Tampa in week one. If they start Owen two, it's just going to, heat up Minnesota even more to where they need to start rattling off wins when we saw the Packers have an impressive performance against the Bears. We saw Detroit be the defending Super Bowl champs. They got to wake up and get some stuff rolling for this team. So I'm saying those are today's picks. Hawkinson's over on receiving yards. Devontae Smith is over on receptions tonight. And Justin Jefferson is over on receiving yards. And what could be a pass-heavy matchup between these two teams? Watch out for Jalen Hurts as well as an anytime touchdown score. I like that one as well tonight. Man, what would we have done if you'd have gone double goose egg today? <laughs> have to, you just we got to come up with drink, something else. Slow sip a cup of water this time, or wow, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm calling you out. I've been calling you out on the chug from yesterday. I, I, I got to hold. I got somebody's got to hold you. Accountable. I've never been a good chugger. I'll say that. <laughs> I've, I clip that. I. <laughs> Me neither. I'll support you on that. I, I've neither. never been great at it. So what do we upgrade to? Like a bottle of Frank's Red now, Hot? You know now, what it should what? be because I know. Parker hates coffee. The one oh, we gotta make him a, cup a cup coffee. of coffee. Oh, that might be worse than Straight that might up. be worse than Straight coffee. Up. out the out the Keurig machine. Oh, that's that's we'll do that. I'd rather do the one chip challenge than the. Uh, <laughs> well, you saw that uh, somebody met, died off of that, didn't they? The one chip challenge. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. Oh, oh, sorry to get sorry to get morbid on that. Right. But Speaking of uh, outrageous things that happened over the last couple of days, I can't believe the one day I wasn't on the show. I missed the chug or lack thereof. Uh, and and the Mexican government unveiled alien bodies, fake aliens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Statu- alien statues. All like- I'm saying is those things are like three and a half feet tall. So I think we've Look, got Derrick Henry. There, so is, we're saying. There, there is no one in this room that wants their aliens to be real more than me. And those could not have looked more fake. It looked like that. You guys seen that episode of SpongeBob where the uh, they're selling chocolates, like the lady in the wheelchair. <laughs> Someone's already photoshopped. <laughs> That's, that. That's what it looks like. She also it looked looked like the uh, the mom from Squidbillies. 
in the chair, you know what I'm talking about? All uh, I'm saying is if we if, I, I don't know. All I'm oh, saying is if we go from a World Cup to a Universe Cup, I think our athletes are safe. Yeah, I think we're good. If the if the aliens aren't you, getting above waist high, I think we're fine. Well, you hear the conversation all the time. You imagine if like uh, our best athletes like LeBron James and them played soccer, how good <laughs> oh, they'd be. Geez. You imagine if they played like Galactaball or whatever, whatever they're. Imagine playing. them playing Galactus in the Universe Cup or something. It'd be like Space Jam. It'd be like Space Jam real life. But you can always text us three zero four two six three four three two one. You can tweet us uh, at EP Sports Network. Uh, what else, you guys? We'll talk about here in the last two minutes. We got a lot of content on tomorrow's show. People that want to tune in, we're going to be catching up with today. Marcus Law, uh, the first time we get to hear from the interim head coach at Spring Mills, and in preparation for uh, tomorrow's game of the week, which has huge implications. I got to tell you. And I've been a big Musselman supporter coming into this season. But the more I think about this game, the more I think Spring Mill's got a couple of wrinkles that are going to make this a really tough game. And then we're also going to be talking to Craig Hunter um, and what happened in that Spring Valley game. The beating Spring Valley twice in a row is not a feat accomplished by many people. And that's exactly what Jefferson's done. So as we get later into the season, another thing that's interesting about the Cougars is all of a sudden, and I'll have to ask him, besides Keyshawn, obviously, Jackson Rockwell has been commanding a ton of targets, and he was somebody that was battling for the quarterback job before moving to receiver. So I'm excited to catch up with him. Uh, we'll hear from those guys on tomorrow's show, and obviously a lot to break down. Uh, the McCook show, which I hope everybody tunes into tonight, um, and then the high school football that we have tomorrow. And then we've kind of undersold it because we'll talk about it a lot tomorrow. This Cal game is also a pivot point for the Shepherd football yeah. team. I mean, if you lose this game by multiple scores, you're looking at a Shepherd team that'll definitely probably lose multiple games in the regular season. If you win this game and right the ship, you're right back to where you are and you're the top dog in the region. So that's what's at stake for Shepherd. So, you know, a lot of tense football to be played this weekend. For Shepard, if they lose this game, they're dropped out of the top twenty-five. I, th oh, yeah. I, th I think that I think the people who are curating the top twenty-five list are waiting for a reason to drop Shepard out of the top twenty-five. It feels like, and there's been a lot of doubt nationally, and I'm, I'm disappointed we couldn't get carry on to the show today. I wanted to ask him about that, but this is a big this is a big moment for Shepard. I think if they're able to win this game, I think that quiets a lot of the doubters nationally about the Rams. If they're not. It strengthens those claims, and then we're we're at a crossroads in the season. I think for Shepard, they beat two kind of middle of the road under five hundred teams. If they beat it, if they are unable to beat a good team in Cal on the road, it sets up maybe the PSAC East title game against Kutztown next week. Well, if you missed any of today's show, you can always listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. For Parker and Luke, I'm Jordan. Panhandle Live is next. Have a good one. We will talk to you tomorrow. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.